Good morning, I'm Josh. If you're a guest with us here or online, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today as we take one final look in this gathering space at the promise fulfilled by Jesus Christ, that God is the great promise keeper. Second Corinthians tells us that every promise of God is yes, that when he says something, he does what he says. Now, I'm going to just take a quick pause. We're going to get into this in a moment, but I want to make sure you get everything possible out of the next few days together. I just hope that you will ring these last few days of Advent for all their worth. And so I want to give you two things uh, to participate in over the next few days. The first one is the Children's Storybook Bible. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is a daily reading. This is a great little storybook for you as a family, for your kids. If you don't have kids, I'll tell you, first time I read some of the stories as presented in here, I got choked up. Because every one of them points in the way that those pictures did, they point us to Jesus Christ. And so all month, we've been going through as a family one little section, one little story every night. This is our fourth and final week. So here's the reading plan that we'll be going. If you want to join us, take a picture of it. Join us this week in that. The second thing I want you to know is that this coming Thursday night, December the 24th, we are going to have a very special Christmas Eve online experience. And it is just one more way for a, a family that right now feels a little distant because of all the craziness of our culture to once again come together and be centered on the truth that God keeps his promises. So Thursday night, let me just tell you what we're going to be doing. We're going to have a great time celebrating Advent. We're going to light the fifth and final candle. It's the Christ candle. I'll tell you more about that later. But we're also going to have some special music. We'll have a story read to us by a very special member of our church. I won't tell you. You've got to join us to find out. You're going to hear the shortest sermon that I have ever preached or will ever preach again. It's under four minutes long. So show up, be a part of it on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And then at the very end, we're going to light candles together, although in our own homes. You say, how do we do that? Well, as you leave this morning, we have a table out here with candles. They have a little drip sleeve on them and everything. You get one for every member of your family. You be a part of it. And if you know someone in our church that you are particularly close with that won't be able to be here, but you think they'd enjoy it, you pick up an extra one for them, take it home, give it to them so they can be a part of it. Thursday night, 7 p.m. This is just one more way we get to celebrate Advent together. Okay, enough of the infomercial. I want to take you now to the point in Scripture where everything we've been talking about from Abraham and Moses and David, I want to take you now to the heart of the story And it's found in the familiar verses of Luke chapter 2. Would you stand with me this morning in honor of the one who was born as we read God's word? Luke chapter 2 begins this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, while they were there, hear these words, the time came. 
the time came. All the promises, all the hopes, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. The promise fulfilled. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this moment where we celebrate that you keep your promises and how your big, big promise began in a little, little baby, but it is now spun around the globe and it has touched so many hearts. And we today say yes and amen to the promises you have given and the promises you have kept. And the one that we're going to talk about today, the promise you will keep. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you want a title for today's message, here's my title. It is simply The Promise of Home. The Promise of Home. Now, if you are like me, and that just sounds a little bit too vanilla, a little bit too mundane, a little bit too churchy, let me give you an alternate title that you may prefer over The Promise of Home. I would call this A different thing, perhaps the alternate title would be something along the lines of The Gospel According to Kevin McAllister. The Gospel According to Kevin McAllister. Now, just a quick show of hands. How many of you are a child of the 80s or 90s? Or you just remember watching the movie Home Alone? Any of you? Man, this is one of my favorite Christmas... Keith's over here nodding his head, yes, I love it. And and Keith, knowing you, I suspect that some of the mischief in the movie just makes you giddy, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But I remember seeing this, and I loved it growing up, because you've got this pint-sized eight-year-old boy named Kevin McAllister, who is a terror on two feet, defending his home against the wiles. Do you remember their title? Of the Wet Bandits. Marv and Harry, the bumbling crooks, you've got these guys who their goal is during Christmas when all the families may be out of town visiting relatives or in the case of the McAllisters overseas in Europe, they're going to come in and they're going to clean out homes. But remember, Marv has the bright idea to be the wet bandits. They will stop up the sink so that when people come home, not only will they see that their house is a mess and their stuff is gone, but their homes are utterly and totally drenched and destroyed. This is a beautiful picture. You say, how in the world are you going to make that into an allegory or an analogy for the church? Just hang with me. I'm a preacher. I'm paid to make weird illustrations work. So here it is. Are you ready? The whole story of Home Alone is not ultimately about the strength and courage of a little boy. The story of Home Alone is not even about this epic battle of wits between this little kid and these two idiot old men. The story of Home Alone is ultimately about a child, about a family that although they live in a house together at the beginning of the movie, they are not at home together Are you following me here? The story begins not with a happy family getting along, does it? It begins with a family that is fractured, a family that although they are under one roof, they live in the same house. They are anything but living in the same home. Isn't it true that you can live in a place 
with other people and still feel completely distant. Kevin, the whole story revolves around Kevin getting to an argument with his brother Buzz. And Kevin's a little stinker already, but the whole family is a mess. They're fighting, they're bickering, they're calling each other names. There's this tension, I wonder, this year. Is there any tension that you felt? Maybe not in your own home, but in the home we call our country or in the home we call our world. Have you felt any tension maybe in the way that things are or are not? And so the story begins with a family fractured, and it just so happens because of that, they forget Kevin. They leave him home. He oversleeps. They race off to the airport. They get on a plane. They're in Europe, and the mom goes, oh, no, I left my boy home. And so the story is not about a little boy defending his home. The story is about a broken family trying to reunite. Folks, I will tell you this is the story of Christmas. This is the story of the human race. See, the promise of home is built upon the problem of homelessness. The promise of Advent, of God with us, of the coming of Christ, of the kingdom of God in our midst is built on the problem that you and I are ultimately homeless. Now, I know some of you say, no, I'm not. I've got a great house. I've got a little fireplace. I've got a big screen TV. I've got a gaudy Christmas tree decked out. Maybe it's a classic silver one like the Charlie Brown Christmas story. You remember all the aluminum trees that he gets to choose from? Maybe that's your house. But I want you to understand that although you live in a house, you know this as well as I do, there are moments where you realize and you feel like although you've got all these things, something doesn't fit perfectly in life, does it? Have you noticed that everything doesn't fit perfectly in your life? Uh, There's this sense that we are not made for the world in which we live. This is why you can spend thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to deck out your house, get it just Right, and then as everything is perfect, the paint is just right. The appliances are just right. What happens? You have kids. And what do kids do to that perfect environment? They break something. They ruin the carpet. Or if they don't, you don't have kids, but you do have these things called washer machines. And what do they do? They break. If you're like my sister, they flood your house, and you have to tear up all your floors. And so we find ourselves, even when there are moments where it feels like everything fits, it takes but one more moment and things don't fit anymore. Understand, the story of the Bible at its core is a story of wishing and wanting and desiring to be home, but not being at home. You say, Josh, where are you getting this from? Before we get into Jesus, we need to go back to Genesis. You say, we've been there all year, we've been there a lot. Okay, I know, but this is where the story begins. Let's just talk for a moment. The story begins with a good father who makes a home for his kids. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you hear the repeating where God says, oh, they're going to they're gonna need a place to call home, so he creates this world. He says, and they're going to need a place to get baths and get water and play, so I'm going to give them oceans and rivers and streams, and they're going to need a place for food, so I'm going to give them trees with all of this luscious fruit, and they're going to need, well, they're going to need a temperature, they're going to need a heater, so I'm going to put a sun in the right distance, and then, because children get scared so easily, he says, don't worry, I'll even create night lights for you all. They're called stars. And just when it's all perfect, what's he then do on the sixth day? He, he brings his children into the home called this world. 
And he doesn't just put us here and walk off. No, what does he do? He says, I will now be with you. He walks with us. He is with us. God with us. In the beginning, heaven literally on earth. It is perfect. But then what happens in the story? Like so many of us, we remember our children our childhood years as being ones of being at home, but then something happens in our hearts, we begin to rebel. And if you maybe had one of those moments where you stepped out of line one too many times and it was too big of a fracture, you were asked to leave the house for a few days. But for Adam and Eve, it's not a few days. Rather, because of the brokenness of the relationship, they are kicked out of home. They have to leave. And you say, well, that seems so harsh. No, no, no. Think with me. It's logical. This is not God being capricious or mean, but when you or I lie to another person, when you or I cheat another person, when you or I use our words or our hands to hurt or harm other people, the relationship is fractured. It's not the other person doing something unkind, but we become distant, don't we? And that became the story of the entire human race in Genesis 3. And so now we are a people away from home and this world does not feel like home. It's now broken. But God shows up in his kindness to a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12, 13, 14, 15. He gives him this promise. What is it? I'll give you kids. But he doesn't just say, I'll give you kids. Do you notice he says, and I will give you a home. I promise to give you land, and I will call it the promised land. Years pass, the Israelites grow as a people. They're now enslaved in Egypt, but God promises to deliver them. And through the man Moses, we looked at two weeks ago, he liberates them from bondage and the next Four books, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all about God taking his people from slavery to their new home, the promised land. But it ends right there on the cusp of going in. We then get into the Old Testament books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and you see the people beginning to come in, conquer the land. They don't get to receive it easily. They have to fight for it. Although it's now their home, they're still struggling and striving. It's a people still at war. And then they are established. God gives them a king named Saul, then another king named David, who we looked at last week. And from 1 Samuel through 2 Chronicles, you get the story of them trying to settle and keep their home, but they can't do it because they can't keep and honor God. And so then we move into the prophets of the Old Testament which chronicled the exile where Israel is taken away from their home to Babylonian captivity. And although they get to come back to their land, the people weep because it's not the home that they left. The walls of the city are burned and broken. And then we have 400 years of silence from the Old to the New Testament, nothing. And during that time, you see the rise and fall of other world superpowers who enslave the people of Israel until we get to the New Testament. And at this point, Rome is the lead power over the known world. And that's actually where we come into Luke chapter 2. In fact, we're introduced to this person named Caesar, Augustus Caesar. The king of the kings, the ruler of the known world, Rome's emperor. And because he is the big guy over all, although there are Israelites in their land, he decides where they have to go. And so, with a wife who is so very pregnant, 
the decree comes down that Joseph, a native of Nazareth, is going to have to take his sweet wife, their unborn child, over rocky terrain. It says they went up to Bethlehem from Nazareth. Now, it's in, Bethlehem is in the south, but they went up because Bethlehem is on a rise. You actually have to go up physically, up a hill to get to Bethlehem. And he takes her over this rocky terrain, away from their home. And he and his family are homeless for Christmas. Do you follow the story? It's just a continuation of what began in Genesis all the way to Jesus. Our Savior entered the homeless state you and I experience every day. In fact, consider this with me. Jesus Christ, these verses tell us all about his homelessness. So we read now. Go on to the next slide here. So Caesar Augustus rules and he tells everyone to go to their own hometown. Next slide. After this, you hear the story of this man named Joseph. Next slide. We're just going to kind of move through this. He went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem. To the town of David, the house and line of David. By the way, interesting thing, David wasn't just anybody. He was from the kingly line of David, the great king of Israel. By the way, if you are a descendant of a royal, then what do you have in your bloodline? You're royal. Isn't it interesting that the royalty of Israel is being bossed around by the evil king of the world because even God's people, even the royal among us, are displaced in this world, aren't we? And so he has this moment. He brings his wife. They are physically not at home. They're not in Nazareth. They're not where they have been raised. They don't have people around them that love them, that care for them. Rather, they are in Bethlehem. But they're not just in any part. They are in a barn, now listen, most of us have that picture of the stable, and it's beautiful, right? It's Fisher-Price. Any of you a Fisher-Price Christmas nativity set? Or maybe you just have one of those really authentic ones, and everyone looks very pious. They're like this, maybe a little circle around Mary's head. I, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's like some sort of prehistoric bun or hairdo. I, I don't know. But you know the picture, don't you? The nativity scene is beautiful, you can almost smell the sweetness of the hay, right? The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, oh, the screaming he makes. Because he's a real baby. He shows up, and they don't put him in the Hilton. They put him in a hovel. This is not home. There is no room for God himself, even in this homeless world. Hear me now. The story of Jesus, the story of Christmas, is the promise of God that says he has come to give you and me a home. But it begins with Jesus being homeless. Are you picking up on the picture here, family? Jesus becomes homeless. He's homeless physically, isn't he? He's in this little manger, and it's not a clean place. By the way, a doctor friend of mine, I said, hey, talk to me a little bit about what this would have been like. He said, Josh, you don't understand the number of serious viruses that livestock produce and can put in the feeding of their, uh, their food and the hay. And this is where God himself is laid in a COVID-infested manger. And in this place, not only is he homeless physically, consider this. There's that little phrase where it says that Joseph went with his 
betrothed, the woman that he is all but married to. Her name is Mary. Now, the problem is, as betrothals go, the way it's supposed to work is a betrothal is stronger than an engagement. You are all but married except for consummation. But see, there's a problem in the text. It says that they are promised, they are betrothed, but she is with child, so something's out of order here. In their culture, here's what this means. Yes, they would be physically homeless for Christmas, but if they were in Nazareth, they would be socially homeless. The people around them would have been saying, hey, what'd she do? Oh, did you hear the story? (laughs) Yeah, she said it was God who gave her the baby. (laughs) Yeah, as if. And then you have Joseph who everyone would be wondering, what kind of a man is he that he would allow this woman to do this thing to disrespect him and then still marry her? You understand, in every way, Jesus was homeless on earth. And this is just the beginning. This is a picture of what would happen for not just in the manger, but in his ministry. Jesus grows up and he makes this almost heartbreakingly true ache statement. In Matthew chapter 8, he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Your Savior came and he took on the homelessness of creation and this went all the way from manger to ministry, all the way to the cross. Consider this, on the cross, Jesus Christ, when he was born, was laid in a rough-hewn wooden manger, but on the cross, he was nailed on a rough-hewn wooden cross. In the birth narrative, he's rejected by the innkeeper, but in the crucifixion, he's rejected by a city that cries out, crucify him. In the birth narrative, he's wrapped in these little cloths, just this little swaddling, some gift of another, but in the crucifixion, his last possession, the clothes he's wearing are ripped off of him. He is stripped naked, and even his last possession is sold. He is homeless in every way. In fact, he is homeless not simply on the cross, but consider this. Where is he hung on the cross? Is it in the city? With all the people. They take him outside of the gates to a lonely hill to be killed. This is hearkening back to Leviticus chapter 16 where the people of Israel every year would take one lamb, one perfect one, and they would lay their hands on the lamb, putting on the lamb all of their sin, everything that had separated them from God, and they would take this little lamb and they would send it out. It was called the scapegoat for that lamb would be sent out into the wilderness alone, to die homeless. The picture of Christmas, I don't want you to go away with this fuzzy, soft focus picture of Jesus' birth. I want you to smell the hay. I want you to see the blood. I want you to sense the fact that God himself became homeless. And here's why, family. He took on your homelessness so that, get this now, so that you and I could have a home. Jesus became homeless to give us a home. That is the promise of Christmas. That what began in Genesis, the separation of us with God because of our disobedience, he says, I will now take on your homelessness, your helplessness. I will wear it on the cross and you get to have the keys to my home. That is the picture and promise of Scripture. Now, here's the reality. We are living in a world still that feels not quite right, correct? Correct? 
Show of hands, is there anything in your life that feels just a little bit out of order? Anyone at all here? Um, keep your hands up if there's anything in your city that you think may be out of order. Anyone else here this morning? What about in our nation? Anyone else think that things are a little out of order? What about our world? Are things a little bit out of order? We are not made for the world. So you say, okay, he, he, he became homeless to give us a home. So, so why are things the way they are? Ah, here we go. Are you ready? We're coming into the home stretch. Advent, the word Advent. One last time, Adventus, the coming The arrival. For centuries, we as followers of Jesus have had two views of Advent. The first is that we remember Christ came as a little one. And he grew up and he died. But there's another promise of Advent. This is the one that we're hoping and longing for. It's the sake and the source of all that we need. It is that not only did he come, but that he will one day return. The hope of Advent is he came and he's coming again. I want to give you one last promise. Are you ready? Here it is. You've read this a hundred times, but see it again, maybe with fresh eyes. He says in John 14, the night before his death, with his followers around him, sensing things are about to go off the rails, their friend, the one who has made this inhospitable world feel like home, telling them now he's about to leave and they don't know what's going to happen, but he says this, he makes one more promise. Are you ready? In my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare one for you. I think my room's going to be painted in a nice gray tone. Maybe a little wood chair. I'd like to have a big screen TV. I'd like to have a fireplace. I don't know. What does your room look like? But notice the promise of God. He says, I'm going there. The promise of home is not yet finished. And then he says, and if, it, and if I go and prepare a place for you, friends, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. This is the promise of home. It begins at Christmas with a baby. But it'll be fully fulfilled with the coming of a king. I just want to ask you this morning to pause and reflect on this one simple question. Have you found your home yet? We look for all sorts of things to be home, don't we? I look for it far too often things that can never give me a true sense of belonging and security. We look for it in a physical place that we might call home or maybe we look at it in a career or some place for significance. We look for it in a relationship. But friends, here's the reality. Whatever it is, if your home is in anything but the eternal promise of God through Christ Jesus, the reality is that paint peels, jobs change, relationships and people die. Your home is not here in the way things are, your home is with him and he is coming again. The promise of Advent is he came, he is now preparing a home and he will come again. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Can you celebrate with us today?
I don't want you to leave here without knowing where your home is. Don't leave this room wondering if you have a home. Friends, if you are in Christ, you have a home forever. If you do not yet know Christ, we beg you to take your step to receive the gift of a home where there is a room with your name on it, a space in your Father's house. And I want you to know, if you are lonely today, you need to know you are not alone in this world. You are not alone. If you're at home alone, you're not Kevin McAllister. You are a part of a family that loves you. And you need to know that God himself is come to bring you home.